0: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. R&B Hall of Famer Frida Payne performs four shows this weekend in Washington, D.C. at the historic Blues Alley in Georgetown. We spoke about her journey from Detroit to New York City and back again to record hits like Band of Gold and Bring the Boys Home. Hey, thanks so much for joining us.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Now we're talking because you're coming to Blues Alley in Georgetown uh, this Friday and Saturday. I think it's two shows each night, so uh, it's four shows total. Um, have you ever played have you ever played that spot before? It's such a historic spot. I think before the pandemic, um I don't know that might have changed it a little, but I know at least around that time it was known <laughs> as like the longest continually operating uh, jazz supper club in, in in the country, I think.
1: Well, I don't know the history, but I've heard their reputation precedes itself, and I've heard that it's uh it's been there for many years in the D.C. area and Georgetown, and that it's like one of the one of the clubs. I guess I don't think it's the only club in the D.C. area to play, but it's one of the c- good clubs to play. So this is this will be my very first time playing Blues Alley ever. I, matter of fact, I don't think I've ever even visited the club. <laughs> <laughs> in years gone by uh because i you know i've got i played in dc the warner theater years ago this is years ago uh remember it was a, it's an amphitheater i don't even know if it still exists carter baron i played there with al green and patty labelle which was then labelle featuring yeah. you know patty labelle
0: the group and, yeah
1: yeah the group and i'm trying to think in dc where did i play i maybe oh i've played the um but it was the Warner Theater and the National Theater. Uh, I've done other theaters there with, with shows, not just me alone as an artist, you know, a solo artist. I've, I've been in shows where I was, you know, one of the like the headliner or one of the headliners in a show with other artists as well. But anyway, this will be nice because this is my thing. This is my thing, you know, cabaret, jazz clubs, you know, performing arts centers. This is what I do. Mm-hmm.
0: awesome awesome well we can't wait and now you can add blues alley to the list it's going to be really yeah. good so what can we um what can we expect like set list wise obviously uh, you'll i'm sure you'll bring all the old greatest hits band of gold everything else but is there any is there any like new stuff you're working on or is it going to be a little of both or what do we got
1: i do a come congratter, com come of uh of many songs i do um Oh, I do sta- I do the American Songbook, you know, the standards, The Best is Yet to Come, uh, Make Me Rainbows, you know. Uh, I do the Allen and Marilyn Bergman songs. And I do, um, I even do a Broadway, t- I do some Broadway stuff. You know, I do 50% from Ballroom, which is uh, quite a kind of dramatic ballad, a very dramatic ballad. It's called 50%. And uh, it's interesting. And I do something from uh, an Alberta Hunter song. It's called Rough and Ready Man. Uh, oh my goodness. And of course, I, you know, I also have been performing uh, uh, Ella and paying a tribute to Ella Fitzgerald. And I've been doing that for like, oh my God, the last 20 years. Uh, I started doing it in a play that was at Crossroads in New Brunswick, New Jersey. That Crossroads is a regional theater for theater, for theater productions, equity productions. And I, uh, I played the role of Ella Fitzgerald. And, uh, and then that was in 2004. And then I recreated, I was called again to do it by my friend Maurice Hines, who was the uh, director and choreographer. And he said I was his first choice. So I said, oh yeah, I'm, re- I'm on, I'm in, I'm in, you know? And then I did it in 2014 at Metro Stage right across you know, Alexandria, Virginia.
0: Nice.
1: So I was at Metro Stage in 2014 and we did, we did very good business. I was there for like eight weeks. It was an eight week run. And they said it was the most successful of that season. And then I, And then I had a rave review from the Washington Post. And then I did it again. The last time I did it was in Wilmington, Delaware at the Delaware Theater. And that was in 2018. So that wasn't that long ago. 2018 at the Delaware Theater in Wilmington, Delaware. And I played, I I do the role, um, the starring role of Ella Fitzgerald. I'm going to be doing it again. Um, I start, we start rehearsals August the 2nd in Rockville, New York. That's right outside of Manhattan in New York. And I'll be at the Madison Theater at Malloy on the campus of Malloy College. And I will be performing once again, Ella, Ella Fitzgerald, First Lady of Song. And that will run for three weeks. I think it's the opening night is um, August the 18th. And then the closing night is September the 11th. And Great. of course the cast will be, well, right now I only know, I've uh, Harriet Foy and Deborah Walton. Uh, I, I right now, I can't tell you who uh, who's gonna be playing uh, the role of Norman Grants, Ella's manager. And then of course, uh, Deborah Walton will be playing a double role. She'll be playing Ella's half-sister Frances. and of course, Frances when she was young, then Frances when she was older. And then Harriet Foy will be playing Ella's cousin, first cousin who was also her traveling companion. So uh, there you have it. And of course, the band. And uh, at this point, there'll be, uh, I think, seven piece, seven, seven piece band. So I'm looking forward to it again, you know, jumping right back into the to the thick of things.
0: Yeah, that's
1: going to be exciting.
0: Yeah. I mean, an elephant. And I'll be
1: doing a couple of Ella songs. You know, I do Mr. Paganini. You know, I do Sweet Georgia Brown. I do all those, you know. I call
0: them good old cabaret songs, good old cabaret songs. They never yeah. no timeless, timeless. Uh, well, you know, you mentioning Ella Fitzgerald is a, is a good segue. Cause you know, I always, I always wanted to know, you know, when I have someone famous like you on, I always want to know like what sort of stuff you listened to growing up. And I assume, you know, growing up in Detroit, you know, I guess what, in the forties Ella Fitzgerald, Billie Holiday. I mean, what, what were those, what were your touchstones back, you know, growing up? I want to know how you got into music to begin with.
1: Well, I got into music because of, my uncle, Uncle Johnny, he was my mother's brother and only sib- sibling. And uh, I remember when I was like about four or five years old, or four, five, six during those years, he had a, re- of course, he had a record player, that was a big deal. You know, if you had a record player back then, there was no TV quite yet.
0: <laughs> that's some high tech stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's like, so he had a record player. And guess what he had, he had re- records by uh, albums, you know, the big, you know, and those are the kind that broke, you know, back yeah. then, can you imagine uh, having a, a vinyl that breaks? If you drop it, it'll break. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, he, he had Duke Ellington, and I listened to that. I mean, here I am, a, like, a top, I mean, five years old, four years, old, I put my, I would get right up to the speaker and listen, like Duke Ellington, Lionel Hampton, you know, there, even he, uh, he had Rachmaninoff, Serge Rachmaninoff, he played classical, he had classical music, wow. uh, he had Bach, he had Beethoven, and I, and then I remember when I started, my mother started me taking piano lessons when I was six, I remember, you know, that's another thing we, we were, my, they put us into that kind of thing, my mother always had us taking piano lessons, my, both, uh, my sister and I both. And then, uh, so that, what I, I'm answering your question. It was my uncle Johnny, Johnny Hickman, who started, who kind of like put that into my brain and into my soul, <laughs> the love of music. And it was jazz and classical and blues. I remember there was, he had like a B.B. King, he had a B.B. A King record. And, uh, and then when I got to be about 11 and 12, was 11 or going into 12, I listening to the radio, the radio. Um, I, I would hear Ella and I'd say, Oh my god, what a beautiful, piercing, like right, like really pure voice. Mm-hmm. And then there was, um, uh, Sarah Vaughn, mm-hmm. I, I got what a beautiful voice she had, you know. And then there was Billie Holiday, and then there was, um, uh. Edie Gourmet. Ah, I loved Edie Gourmet because her voice was like Ella's, in my opinion. <laughs> and then when I heard, and then I, there were other singers as well. There was uh, Peggy Lee, you know, because but she was like more smooth, kind of like very, very, very cool, you know, very cool. And there was Chris Connor, uh, June Christie, Chris Connor, Julie London. Um, because at, late at night when I was like in, I think it was middle school, going into high school, I, I had a radio in my room right above my bed and I would, I was supposed to be sleeping but I wasn't and I would just turn it on <laughs> and really low and I and I would hear people like Chuck Baker, Miles Davis, I saw uh, at that time they had Dizzy Gillespie who would be a guest artist on some of the late like the late TV shows and uh, because he would be playing in Detroit he would be playing at one of the nightclubs in Detroit like Baker's keyboard lounge Baker's keyboard lounge is still in existence in Detroit believe it or not all right and that was back then now I'm talking about the 50s and the 60s back then that was the jazz Uh, I would say jazz club, or you would call it a jazz joint to play. That was it. And then there was the Flame Show Bar. That was people like Della Reese, uh, Jackie Wilson, and people like that played there. And, um, you know, there were other clubs around. Oh, and then the classy supper clubs that was the um, uh, not the Baker's Kid, but there was uh, a club across the river in Windsor because Windsor, it was just across the river. You just had to go over the bridge and it was called the Elmwood Casino. And that's where people like Sammy Davis Jr. played. I was
0: just oh, watching- the this. Rooster
1: Tail, there was the Rooster Tail. I think the Rooster Tail might still be there, I think, but I'm not sure. But the Rooster Tail was one of the, that was right in Detroit. And ironically, that was right downtown, like on like on the river and um, by the river not on on the river by the river and, <laughs> Down by the river yeah down by the river side <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome i love hearing about all these old clubs uh, down in detroit uh yeah, yeah i mean and
1: i I'm, I'm mostly looking forward to uh, playing blues alley and
0: yeah that goes and, back uh, to six, 1965 same era you're talking about it, that's been around since then too
1: yeah and it's and it's strange that i never played there before you know it's almost like well how did you miss out on playing blues alley you know
0: <laughs> it's all right you know you, you won't be able to say that much longer well i no. want to know um you talked a lot about thank you about um you know the growing up in detroit and all your influences but what brought you to new york because i know you you moved out there what in like the early 60 63 something like that and your debut album was 64 even covered a little i think there might even been a Duke Ellington tune on that original album, I think, maybe. Um, yeah. So, yeah, t- tell me about that big leap to, you know, leave your hometown, move across a few states over towards the East Coast and-, and try to make a go of it in this music racket.
1: Well, what happened was I had an experience where I had been uh, approached by Barry Gordy Jr., who this was when I was 14, and <laughs> he had heard about me because I had become somewhat of a child prodigy around Detroit, cause I was winning contests, you know, and on TV and things like that. And, and he heard him and he was looking for talent. This was pre Motown before Motown was even established uh, or even thought of at that time. This is Motown and Eve. <laughs> this is, this was before Motown, you know, and um he sought me out and of course he wrote songs for me and uh, and then he wanted to manage me and my man, he and my mother just couldn't see eye to eye. They couldn't come to a resolution of what would happen. And my mother wouldn't give in to his demands and he wouldn't give in to her, <laughs> her questioning.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so by the time I turned 18, I decided I'm going to leave, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to New York. I already graduated high school when I was 16. And I said, and I just felt brazen enough to do it. My parents let me go. And, uh, and I was 18. And then I think I landed my deal at ABC Paramount when I was still 19, either that or going on 20, but I did get, my first record deal was on ABC Paramount. Yeah, and that was in 1963. And then my first my first recorded jazz album came out in 19 I think it was 63 64 something like that. But my first single was called Slightly Out of Tune, which was uh, the uh, the lyric version put to the hit jazz uh, song Desafinado, done by Stan Getz. And um, that was a big, that's a, became a very popular tune. And it's still very recognizable today. As a matter of fact, I think Ella did it and a few other singers did it, about five different singers had recorded, covered that song uh, as most as, as what happens when there's a good song out, you know, a lot of singers oh, yeah. jump on it, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then, um... So yeah, you mentioned those were your labels. Then for the first couple of albums, I know you you jumped over in uh, late '60s to Invictus Records, the you know with Holland Dozier Holland, legendary songwriters, and, and you know labels running that label. And uh, you do the, your big iconic song in 1970, Band of Gold. Tell me how much that changed your life because it's it's gotta be it's, it's gotta be weird to have you know you know a song sort of follow you around through your whole career is the <laughs> one everyone wants to ask you about. Um, but if you Band of Gold. Yeah, Band of Gold. If you can, you know, remember back to those days, any any fun stories about recording that? There's no way you could have known it would have done what it did. But.
1: Hell no. <laughs> I never knew. When I first heard the song, you know, when they played Ron Dunbar, who was working with Holland, Dojan Holland at the time, he was like one of their right-hand men. Um, and he would pick me up from my mother's house and take me to the studio, take me to rehearse the song. To, and he played the track. And I said, oh, that's a really good track, you know, because they, really, they were really planning for me to do a whole album at the time. And so there were other songs that, they, that I recorded during that period. And when he played Band Gold and I said, well, let me see the lyrics. And I, they had the lyrics written down. And I when I got to the line, but that night on our honeymoon, we stayed in separate rooms, I said, hmm. I don't know about this song. I said, listen, these lyrics, I said, why would a, why would a young girl get married and then have her, her husband leave on her honeymoon on their wedding night, their honeymoon night. Right. What's up with that? That's some edgy stuff. Well, 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 somebody, somebody messed up along the way. Either she was frigid or he was, you know, something going on with him. Couldn't
0: couldn't perform or something. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, every, you know, different people always have their own scenario of, of what that meant.
0: Different interpretations. So, yeah, Yeah,
1: different interpretation. And uh, some people say, oh, the guy was like, realized he couldn't have an erection or he was gay and he really, you know, felt like, oh, God, did I get into this? Or she was the one that right. was like nervous or just had was a virgin and never had, you know, was kind of like frigid and, and just couldn't get into it. Uh, or was a little bit of both? Who knows?
0: Either way, it but got anyways, people talking. It got it stirred up some controversy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, I objected because I said this song is for a younger, like a like a sixteen year old to sing. Mm-hmm. Somebody who would actually maybe experience this. I said at this time I was twenty eight, and I said I'm a grown woman. <laughs> I said I, I wouldn't do that on my wedding night. <laughs> Right. I said, I, I mean, what's the point of getting married if you're going to be if it's going to turn out like that? Right, right. And um, he said, and you know what he's, Ron Dunbar said, well, Frida, don't worry about it. Just sing it. I said, it'll be a
0: hit. Trust us. It'll said, be a hit.
1: <laughs> I said, okay. And that was it. It was like a job. It's like, okay, this, right. these are the lines. This is the play. These are the lines. I'll do my job. And that's what I did. I had no idea. I had no idea at that time that song was going to be the song. Right. No, right. I did not.
0: Right. And the, re- the rest I, thought they all, I thought
1: they all were good.
0: Of course, I they all were good. Well, it, was, it it became iconic for you. So it, it, it all worked out. So we're glad you did it. Um, tell me about um, the Vietnam protest song. That was one of your other big ones. Uh, Bring the Boys Bring the, Home.
1: Yeah. East Bring the 71. Boys Home became a year later, became my second gold record and my so you can't say I'm a one hit wonder
0: huh? <laughs> right exactly i'm
1: a two hit <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i had two gold records and um, and then i had some after that but they didn't quite make gold you know but it was like cherish what is dear to you and then another one called you brought the joy mm. and then deeper and deeper you know but i mean people who were like really staunch free to paint fans uh they wouldn't know they but they would be familiar with those songs because they probably bought the album or of course, yeah. Yeah, or um, you know, bought the single when it came out. Yeah. hmm
0: Right, right. But just tell me about that song itself, Bring the Boys Home. Like how important was it, you know, to, to sort of make a statement?
1: Well, it kicked to me, it it came, it was brought to me as a new song to record that had possibilities of being a hit because it spoke to the hearts of families, you know, of husbands, wives, sisters, brothers, you know, the kids, uh, guys who were over there, and it wasn't only pertaining to the Vietnam War. It was really referencing the the uh, World War Two, the Korean War, World yeah. War One, because their line says, "Can you can't you see them marching through the air? All the soldiers that have died, yeah. trying to get home, trying to." In other words, the spirits. Of the soldiers who have who were killed over there and have never been able to get to be their bodies were never retrieved to be able to be brought home. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like bring them home. It's like it's almost like a prayer. And yeah. I and I actually have been greeted by many over the decades, many former Vietnam vets who have said to me, "Thank you, Frida, for recording that song because when we heard it over there, it gave us hope." and it gave us comfort. And do you know that song was, had been, they banned it from being played in South Viet, Vietnam wow. by the Republican party. And Richard Nixon was, was in office at the time.
0: So Nixon banned, he, he banned playing your song, it, Bring the Boys It was home. the
1: Republican party because they sent a telegram to Invictus Records two weeks after it was released and saying this song, Bring the Boys Home, Will not or cannot be played in wow. South Vietnam due to the fact that it is giving aid and comfort to the enemy.
0: Wow! Wow! So that
1: they were like trying to say, "I'm Tokyo Rose."
0: Right, right, right. Well, I okay. don't know
1: if pe- a lot of a lot of people may not even know that reference, Tokyo Rose. <laughs> but Tokyo <laughs> Rose, I think, was during World War II, or was it in the, the war with Japan or whatever? It was. It in- was World War
0: II. It was in the Pacific Theater. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, so you know about Tokyo Rose.
0: <laughs> Trying to do my history a little bit.
1: <laughs> a little bit of history. Yeah, that is history. Yeah, well. And, uh, she was a spy. She was a spy. And she would broadcast to the over the uh, ra- you know radio broadcast over to to the American soldiers and kind of like, you know, making them think that, they, you know, they're doing the wrong thing or something like that. You know, I don't know that much, but I I, rem- I kind of remember a little bit about Tokyo Rose.
0: Right, but that's what they were claiming that you were the version of that for Vietnam is what they were yeah. saying. They but, were I, trying- but I,
1: it was the opposite. I was giving right. aid and comfort right. Right. to the American soldiers, not the enemy.
0: Of course. Well, two two years, I guess, after it, uh, they brought the boys home anyway. So uh, yeah, you you were ahead, you were ahead of the curve, I guess. So yeah. Um, Awesome. Well, you've been generous with your time. Before you run, I want to remind our listeners um you mentioned your your younger sister earlier, Sherry Payne. Remind Sherry. Her, remind them that she joined the Supremes for a while like from 73 to 77. I guess it, so was that right after that was right after Diana Ross left, right? She your sister That joined.
1: was Sherry was the uh, a replacement. She replaced Jean Terrell who replaced Diana Ross. Gotcha. So Sherry was the, se- the second the, the first replacement was Jean Terrell. Sherry was the uh, uh, third replacement from, uh, she replaced Jean Terrell as a lead singer and gotcha. signed to Motown, Sherry Payne. And also I'd like to talk about my book. You know, I wrote yeah. a book, my memoirs, and that was, uh, it was called, it's called Band of Gold, a memoir by Frida Payne and Mark Bigo, who co-wrote the book along with me. Is it out right now? Where can we get it? Oh, you can get it. I'm gonna be bringing some. I'm gonna have some books for sale. Um, can I show you the uh, what well, can I show you book? Oh yeah you? yeah I got wait, all the time wait hold on, let me just let me grab it hold on Go for it. that'd be great. Okay, this is it.
0: Oh let's see it. Wow. all right Band of gold a memoir.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Wow, that's
1: fantastic
0: so we can pick that up i guess go on amazon or, or barnes and noble wherever you, you can, can get work.
1: it on amazon amazon prime you can get it in a day in the next day when, uh, when did I'm you? Gonna, I, I will be bringing some books for sale uh, at blues alley and i you know i will after after the show i will be there to autograph books if someone wants to buy a book purchase a book i'll be there i will graciously autograph it for them
0: that's awesome. You know the how how um you know nostalgic or maybe even cathartic was it to you know r- to put pen to paper and go think back through all you know kind of like what we're doing now but a much bigger thing for a book but you know to think back through all of it you know were you able to I don't know appreciate ever you know your your career more was there anything that you that you realized I don't know anything that you hadn't fully processed until
1: writing it you know I want to I want to know what that was like. Well, it was ca- ca- cathartic because I had always put it off. I had always, it was almost like I was just too lazy to really dive into it. But I, I started to realize after a few years start going by, uh, people had been asking me about writing a book for like the last 25 years. Uh, could I grab this one? Yeah, there's
0: someone trying to, she's calling to get the yeah. book.
1: Hi girl. I'm on, I'm doing a Zoom. I'm on a Zoom interview.
0: That's someone trying to order a book, I think.
1: (laughs) Oh no, you know what, it was my sister, Sherry. Hey, of the Supremes, we just mentioned her. (laughs) Yeah, my sister called to tell me, are you watching channel seven? Melba Moore is on doing an interview. Oh, cool. uh, Awesome. So we're friends, you know, we've been friends from way back. And as you know, she's a fabulous artist. Yeah. Uh, Singer, actress, performer. She's done it all. And uh, Tony's. Oh, uh, oh, she's a Tony Award winner, honey.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, And uh, Grammy, Lean on Me, all kinds of stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Grammy, Tony. So she's the whole deal. She's the, the whole schmear. (laughs) And um, she's going to be, as a matter of fact, I think what she's probably talking about is uh, she's going to get her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame.
0: Ah, OK. I uh, don't
1: know what date it's going to be, but she's uh, talking about it right now. Oh, uh, great. She used to be with the same manager. And uh, back in the in the 80s. And, and of course, we're still we're still friends.
0: So you go way, way back. Yeah. That's great. Well, hopefully she gets the, the star on the Walk of Fame and hopefully you get it set on the DVR to watch it. <laughs> um, you um, I guess that's a good way to end it. Didn't you enter the Rhythm and Blues Hall of Fame a couple years ago, like right before the 2017? Yes.
1: Like yes. Over my fireplace, I have quite a few <laughs> yeah. awards and stuff like that sitting on the fireplace mantel and other places in my in my living room and my dining room and my den
0: (laughs) all over the place
1: yeah
0: that's fantastic well we'll let you run so you can go catch the thing on the dvr you can go watch it (laughs) well it's
1: been it's been a pleasure speaking with you
0: oh absolutely and we want to invite everyone to come check out Frida Payne at Blues Alley in Georgetown this Friday and Saturday four shows two on each day so uh get your tickets now over on uh bluesalley.com I think it is so hey thanks so much for doing this
1: you're welcome and thank you
0: all right be well
1: okay bye-bye